Welcome this morning to Cornerstone Church. Uh, we're really thankful that you're here this morning. Good morning. We're thankful that you're here this morning to worship with us on this beautiful day. Almost could have church outside, so <laughs> don't dare me on that one. Um, if you see me not shaking your hands this morning, I apologize. We've had sickness in our home, and I would hate to pass sickness on to you. Not that I'm sick, but you just feel stuff sometimes. So please don't take it personal this morning. I am keeping you safe. As, uh, so instead of spreading a disease, or not a disease, uh, anyway, <laughs> a cold or a flu, whatever it is. And so I'll see how my voice holds up this morning. Um, but I am thankful for this past weekend of just getting away with my wife and, and spending time with her. Uh, and just, it was just good. And then William and Linda were there. And then also uh, Lori and Doug, they're not here this morning, but they've been coming to our church for some time now. Uh, we're there also. So it was just really sweet to be able to mingle with others as we were working on our own marriage and uh, just seeing others from our body that were there. I, I was really highly encouraged, and I would encourage you to, if you get a chance and you want you and your spouse to get away, is I just highly recommend it because life is busy and life continues to move. And it's just our, like our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're not taking time to get away and spend time with Him, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, then we're kind of, we're missing out on an intimacy that is really important, and it kind of goes along with what Pastor Keith uh, preached about last week on Psalm 1, is meditating on the law and meditating on His Word day and night, and how often we don't do that, and we just go on with life, and we just, we don't realize that even moments like today as we're singing and the flesh is kind of warring, maybe for some of you it's warring in different ways, but then the Spirit of God comes as we worship together and it kind of allows us to focus our attention on who needs to be focused on and that is Jesus. And it allows us to look to Him and so these holy moments, if you're not used to that, I understand, but we need of it we need these holy moments that his presence comes and it just kind of changes us and it doesn't always make sense we don't always understand it but in his presence is strength in his presence is fullness of joy and if it was not so the bible would not tell us it was so and so we need these times, and I'm excited as we get ready to dive in to the um, a series of psalms. I'm not, I don't know exactly how many we are going to do or which ones, but I know we'll definitely go through the first ten, and we'll add some other psalms throughout the book uh, later on. But it's really important that we realize why the psalms are written. They're written for many reasons. One is focusing on the Lord and our relationship. Another is something that we're not very good at in the West, but it's called lamentations. It's called what we say where we lay our hearts out before the Lord and we're disgruntled, we're discouraged, things in our lives are not going well. And, and David and the psalmist write it so well, allowing us to be emotional before the Lord. 
a few months ago as I was sharing with the youth that, listen, guys, the Psalms were written, and can you imagine, all of us can be a psalm writer. Did you know that? What we can do is we can take our lives and what's going on and writing it out before the Lord and praying before Him and just letting Him know what is going on. He already knows what's going on. But allowing Him to minister to us as we write it down and saying, Lord, this is what I'm going through. It could be, woe is me, or Lord, I'm sad, or I'm discouraged. I don't know how I'm going to make it through another day. But it always Him. We write these things. We talk to Him about these things. The light of His presence comes, and it just changes us. And have you noticed, like a lot of times, some of you are in these circumstances, and these circumstances aren't changing. But it doesn't matter. Because you are. And because He is with you in the midst of it. And we need that. And so, as Pastor Keith so well did last week, he broke down the first psalm for us. And there are formulas in the Bible, and we don't like to live by formulas. I'm not real for sure why, but there's promises in the Bible throughout the whole Bible that if you meditate on the law day and night, you will be successful. And what is success? Well, it's not as the world counts success at all. But the success is our relationship with Him and our relationship with others. And a proverb says, as your heart thinks, so a man is. So you're thinking in your heart today, you're either negative or positive and, and all these things, and so you are. And so I look at my own life and think, what am I meditating on today? And it's to be honest with you, woe is me, woe is poor, poor Jeremy. I don't measure up, or I've done this thing, or this, that, and the other thing. And so I begin to meditate. And I just, that's my personality. I'll just be honest with you. But then I turn my eyes to the Word. And I begin to meditate on what is true. And what is right. And my inner man, all of a sudden, this timid, cowardly inner man, all of a sudden, rises up within me. And I can defeat a lion. I can defeat a bear. And I remember, and we're getting ready to pray, and so I promise you that. I remember when I was going through discipleship training school, and they had what they call upper 40, lower 40, I don't know what it was, but 40 acres. And I would remember going out there at night. There's a lot of scary things in Arkansas at night. Raccoons and squirrels. But there could be a copperhead or not a cottonmouth where we are at. But you never know. The boogeyman could jump out. But I'd be walking this land, and I've been in other nations and been in some scary situations. I remember walking these lands and just crying out to the Lord and praying to Him and just realizing how much of a coward I was. 
in darkness. There's something about being in His presence that changes everything. And when we are looking at His Word and we are letting His Word know who we are, then we are changed. And we're not cowards. Actually, we are called to be bold and reliant. So this morning, I hope I don't take as long as Pastor Keith did last week. We were joking. He apologized to me. I'm like, brother, I listened to your sermon and I was not bored. If I was bored, I would let you know. I promise you. But I was not. And so I hope that we hang on this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I feel your tremendous... Father, the worship your people is beautiful. It's becoming and it befits us. And it changes us, Lord. From the inside out. And Lord, I just say to you, Jesus, that I don't fully comprehend your beauty. I don't fully comprehend your holiness. And if I did, Lord, I really feel this morning that it would change the way I worship. And change the way I do things. So I'm asking you today, not only for myself, but I'm asking you for a body that is here this morning, that Lord, would you be gracious enough to give us a glimpse of your glory, your holiness, and Lord, I don't know how else to say it, but how big, how huge you are. And you can only do this for us. We cannot do this. I don't even care how much I yell or however I do it, Lord, it is not good enough And so would you be gracious to us to peer into the heavens today and to see your glory, Lord. And Jesus, we desire to kiss your feet today. We need you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read through the psalm and then we're just going to get right into it. I do have three points this morning. The nation's are in an uproar. The Lord has a good laugh. And you'll see the word dualism there, and I'll talk about that real quickly in a minute. And then the Lord extends His mercy. I'm going to talk about all three of those points, but let's read through Psalm number 2. And just to give you a background, is probably Psalm number 2 belongs with Psalm number 1. And the reason they say this is because it starts out the same blessed, and then it ends with blessed. And so it's uh, potentially a coronation, the reign of the Lord's anointed. But it says this, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The king of the earth take their stand, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart, and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. 
He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence, with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that He not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So the first point this morning, and we hear it, Loud and clear, as if the nations are in an uproar. And how fitting is it for us who live in America and think America is the center of it all? And I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but we are not. I love our great nation. I'm glad people fight for our nation. I pray for our nation. I pledge allegiance to the flag of our nation. But there's something much, much bigger going on for the believer. And in the year of election, how we need to hear that God is who God is. And it says the nations are in uproar and the people's devising a vain thing. And the funny thing about this vain thing, devising a vain thing, they're planning, is it's the same word as meditation, which was shared last week, of a murmuring. And that's why we can put these two psalms together. But just as we are to be murmuring and meditating day and night on the word, the nations, the peoples of the earth are constantly devising a plan against the Lord. And so we're in an uproar. And let me burst your peace bubble. Also, I'll burst a lot of bubbles this morning. Is when the world says, peace, peace, beware, there is no peace. There's not going to be a time that all of a sudden utopia shows up and it's all uh, made well until Christ Jesus comes, and we'll talk about that, to establish us and establish His kingdom on earth. Until that day comes, it's not going to come. And so the nations, and any time we see the nations, just in case you don't know what this word means in the Bible, I want to share it with you. When you see the word nation, you can tie it to Gentile, to a non-Jewish believer. So anytime you see nations and Gentiles, it's anybody but... The chosen race, Israel. And so the nations are in an uproar. And there's a reason we have to know about what the nations are. It's because God wants to reach the nations. And He wants to use us. But it goes on to say, the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together. 
against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and let, cast away their cords from us. Are we not in a time that people want to throw away what Christians have to say, what God has to say, and say, we want to put all chains, we want to put all the things that bind us, and we want to throw the fetters away and get rid of it. But the funny thing is, the very fetters and the things that they want to throw away are the very things that can bring praise into the life of a true believer. And so the kings of the earth... When it says they take their stand, they are establishing themselves for battle. And so we want to talk about conspiracies today. That's why I don't listen to a lot of stuff. But I'm telling you, there's only one conspiracy going on here. If the nations are devising a plan against our Lord. And here's the deal. Look at a few things here that are very important. As it says, the nations, the peoples, kings of the earth, rulers, it's all in plural, Right? But then in verse 2, it also says against the Lord, which is singular, and against His anointed, which is singular. And it reminds me of this little thing that I see Jonathan says uh, when his armor bearer going up to the Philistines, and he says, whether it's many or by few, if the Lord is on our side, we will win. And the truth is, the Lord does not need us to win the victory. He does not need the President of the United States to win our victory. And I would ask you, how much are you really meditating on the Word? Because I'm kind of a visual type of person. I saw this meme out there by Ben Carson. And it's funny how you can attach these things through Facebook and social media. But he says this. It's funny how we look to politicians as saviors, but they're the very ones that have got us into this mess. And I wonder, as I was thinking about that this morning, I wonder, man, I bet we're meditating on the words of men more than we are on the words of God. But there's dualism going on that we must face. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. And did you know there's a God of this world? And although you may not hear it a lot, but I want you to know that there is an accuser of the brethren. There is a demonic force and the ruler is Satan. You see, in, in John, the Gospel of John, and I, I just want to say these few things real quick, is the world is under the influence of an evil being described variously as the devil, which is found in John, Satan, all this stuff is in John, the Gospel of John. 
and the ruler of this world. John sees this evil one as constantly in opposition to God and to the people of God. He enters into people as he did Judas Iscariot. He opposes Jesus, but he has no power over him, as Annalise said through Colossians. And through Hebrews, it says all things are created by him and through him. The conflict comes to its climax at the cross. The ruler, ruler of this world has been judged. Actually, the ruler of this world, according to Colossians, has been, has been uh, made a joke. And that's my bad interpretation. But when he nailed our sins to the cross, to the God of this world, he made a foolish one and a spectacle. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So should it surprise us of what we are seeing in the world today? It's funny, we say, this person is our enemy, this nation is our war, we're at war, we're going to be at war, the Muslim people are evil, or the homosexual is evil, or all these things we call out as evil. And none of it is good. But there's an enemy behind it. And it has a force that wants to come and rear its ugly head at the Creator of all things. And it says we want to throw the bonds off of us. And we live in a time of just like ignorance. Because I like to make people mad, I posted something on Facebook, which I normally don't do, and I just advise against it. It's just really ignorant to do that to yourself. And others, yeah, anyway. But I said, Peter cries wolf one too many times. And we live in a time where anybody can say anything. And it ruins reputations. Character assassination. And we hear all these things uh, that go out and, and it's like speech is so powerful in our world today. And that is what the psalmist is saying here. I believe that in fact the entire rebellion of the nations is depicted as nothing but speech. Is it not true? Our nations in the world hold on to four five sentences that are tweeted that could push us into an all-out war. It's all about speech. Because they cannot raise a sword or a weapon against God, but they can raise their voices. But here's what God does. He laughs and he scoffs and 
But I want you to know this, through this psalm we see something. We have to see it through the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of the cross and the resurrection. Because the conspiracy theories go out, and it's true, guys, it's scheming. But read the book of Revelation. You will see how the nations rage. But God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, will have ultimate victory. The world and its worlds will have their day in court. Did you know that? That they will stand before God and, and they will hold account. And actually in the book of Revelation, and we see it in Ezekiel, we see it in Isaiah, that there will be a time where all the rulers, all the kings, they will look upon the one who controlled them and they will scoff at the weakness of Satan. And I want to be careful because I know he is quite the foe. And I'm probably stepping on his toes today. The greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. In Acts 4, verse 25 through 26, it says this, Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, Why did the, nation, why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. And so they say in Acts, as in Peter was preaching and different things were said, is that this is where they believe that the nations were raging and had come against the Lord and had crucified Him. Assuming that that would put an end to the rule and reign of the kingdom of God. But here's what the Lord does, guys. Point number two. The Lord has a good laugh. And when I say this, I actually, the only laughing matter is the arrogance of the world. But not the wrath to come. Let me say that again. The only laughter that is to be had is by the arrogance of the world not the wrath to come. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've been there with me that you've said, God, bring judgment on our nation. God, bring judgment on the world for their wickedness and their sin. And then I'm just like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, that affects me. And I hate to be selfish, but then I cry out, oh God, have mercy on our nation. And I believe God does, but God laughs. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. And then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, but as for me, I have established my King upon Zion, my holy mountain." And here's the deal, guys. Church and lovers of lovers. That God is all loving. But God is also a God of fury. 
God is also a God of wrath. And God has anger. And as I've been looking at the word anger, and I'm going to look more depthly into it, in depth to it, is anger is an emotion. It is a God-given emotion. It's when you get angry, most, probably not most of the time, maybe 1% of the time, it's justified and it's righteous. That is why the Bible says to get angry, but do not sin. So we have permission to get angry. That's good for some of us that have anger issues. But here's the question. Is your anger because of injustices and unrighteousness? Or is your anger because somebody has kind of got into your selfish space? Most of the time, my anger is because of my own selfishness. But God's anger is not like our anger. God's wrath is not like our wrath. His wrath will be justified. His anger will be justified. And it's funny, it's like they use their words and they speak, but when God speaks in His anger and He terrifies them in His fury, it will be real. And as I read through the Bible... I scratch my head as I'm looking at some of the plagues and some of the doubts that I see in the Bible, and I'm thinking, oh my Lord, if you choose to judge our nation like you have judged other nations, we are in a heap of trouble. Why is that? We can, raise, we can put our fist at God, we can say you are unjust, you are unfair, but it does not matter because when he chooses to bring his anger and his wrath, it will be real. And it will be justified. And here's where we get some context to the scripture. Oh Lord Jesus, help us. Is We see this, and this is the decree of David. And probably when the coronation took place, and it was said that maybe they said this when they crowned the king. And the king is responding and saying, he says, Surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall rule or break, but let's use the word rule, with a rod of iron. And you shall shatter them, shatter them like earthenware. And, and I want to kind of go somewhere just for a moment because these type of scriptures really excite me. Is that actually God gave David a promise in 2 Samuel verse 7, 14 through 16, and it says this, and I hope that we can see it through the eyes of the cross and for the eyes of the believer today, but it says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits sin, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And I don't know about you, but this excites me. 
Because Jesus in three different situations in the Gospels, it says, today you are my son, I have begotten you. He is saying this of Jesus and crowning him. And so David is saying of the anointing of the king. But it goes so much deeper to the coming king. To the anointed one. And then I look at, he will be your father and you will be his son. And when you do wrong, he will chastise you. Did you know that this is the same inheritance that was won for us through Christ Jesus on the cross and the resurrection that you and I can now be called sons and daughters? And we can only do this because the Holy Spirit has been given to us to cause us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so the same promise that we see in 2 Samuel for kings and the King David is for us today through Christ Jesus. That is exciting. And this is why we do missions. This is why we ask the Lord to give us the nations as our inheritance. In Psalm 29, verse 10 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So I want to ask you today, why are you wasting your time with worry? Why are you wasting your time with conspiracies? Focus your eyes and attention on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. He'll never leave the throne. He's not going to. And before I get myself in trouble, we'll look back to the Word. Because I feel a lot of things brewing in this heart. And all I ask for us today is that we get off our thrones and we let Him be the King. I've met enough people that act as if they are God and they forget who is God. And I love control. Okay, I'm on a roll. I love control. But I realize real quickly that I have no control. And when I look at Psalm 29, verse 10, and I look that He is always in control, again, my shoulders get a lot bigger, guys. And I walk in a lot more confidence, not because of who I am, because of who He is. But it says this in verse 9, You shall rule them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. So I want to share something really cool and quick with you that Jesus has brought for us. And it was when King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's found in Daniel 2, had a dream. And then he offered, and I'm going to go really quick through this, so in my own southern way, we can't really talk fast, but I will try. Some of you get my joke. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he actually challenged the people, tell me my dream without me telling you the dream. And they're like, you are crazy, King Nebuchadnezzar. But one God had raised up, and his name was Daniel. 
And he gave the interpretation to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said this, and he said there was a great um, statue that was standing. And he said this in verse 34 through 35. As King Nebuchadnezzar was looking, and this, I just want you to know that King Nebuchadnezzar was probably, outside of King Solomon, was probably one of the most powerful kings to walk this earth. And isn't it interesting how the Lord was so invested in King Nebuchadnezzar? That's it, a phenomenal thing. A most prideful king can actually acknowledge that God is God. And we may be seeing that miracle before us today. But let's hope that the one in power doesn't end up eating grass like King Nebuchadnezzar did. Anyway, it says, you continued looking into a stone. Looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed. All the same time they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue, this was a huge statue, and the top was top-heavy because of the power. But the statue became a, but this, uh, stuck the, okay, let me start over, 35B. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Do you see something here? I'm going to go on to kind of explain it better in verse 41 through 45 of Daniel 2. Because again, you have to read this on your own just to get it all, but there was a great big statue, the statues of the world. And he had a dream. And in this dream, it says, And that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron. Inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay, as the toes of the feet were partly of iron, then partly of pottery, so some of the king will be some of the kingdom will be strong, but part of it will be brittle. And in what you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of man or men, and I won't go there this morning, but that is interesting. But they will not adhere to one another. Even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Then that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. And as much as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that this will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Who is the stone that came from the mountain not hewn with man's hands? Oh Christ Jesus, oh it is He. 
And as that stone began to roll, that stone became bitter. Just like the kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells us, that is like a little yeast in a bread. And when it's kneaded and put through, it infects the whole piece of bread. Or like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, but once it's planted, and it grows to a big old tree where the birds can nest on it. That's the kingdom. And that's something God has done, not man. So as we look at the last verse, it says that he will, he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will shatter them like earthenware. I'm telling you guys, the scripture is consistent with scripture. And when we see this, and we hear the nations roar, we know the outcome. And this is the deal. I don't even know if I should say this, but could God raise up a man? And has God raised up kings throughout our history that has done His purpose, whether good or bad? It's all the purposes of our Lord. But here's where we look at grace, and I'm going to land this plane, I hope. Is we can't say that God is an unjust God. And I know that's a common theme above, around the unbeliever or even within the believing body is why if God is so loving, why do so many bad things happen? And if you were a student of the Old Testament, you will realize even in the judgment of God, there was so much love going on, even in judgment. But here's what happens. We just assume that God sits back and says, I'm going to judge this nation. I'm going to just wipe this nation from the ends of the earth. And, and yet we see in Scripture that He is always calling out to the lost. And nobody will stand before God and say, I did not know. Nobody will look before in that day of judgment in the courts will say that, God, you did not give me a chance to believe. And as I wrote this, hell will quite, be quite the interesting place. Because I believe God in His mercy and loving kindness gives us all a chance to come to a place of repentance and allowing Him to be our refuge and our Lord. That is why I think hell is going to be the most miserable place. But it says this in the psalm as we end it. It says, verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, show judgment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son. And I chose the title of Kiss the Son. And honestly, as I was reading the commentaries, there is no really great translation to do, to do homage except for this. And this is simple Arkansas language. I'm just going to give it to you right now. Is that this is to do bow. This is to do homage. 
is to kiss his feet. Bow before him in worship and in praise and honor of worshiping him. Because you see, even the saddest part is that even the kings of Israel were caused to kiss other kings' feet, which is totally humiliating. But worship is bowing before Him and giving Him homage. And the kings of this earth and the rulers of this earth, the rulers, they will one day bow their knee and they will one day confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. And I'll be honest with you as I'm reading through the Psalms. I'm kind of scratching my head. And I shared this with the worship team as we were praying in the sound team, as we were praying, is like, do we really realize how holy He is? And do we really realize how subject we are to Him? And you see, I don't know about you, but I have felt the glory of God. And I remember, and some people don't like me to share this story, but I'm going to share it anyway. I remember, as a young believer, praying late at night, and a fear came over me, so terrifying, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to rebuke it. I'm like, if this is so scary, this can't be right. And I remember the presence, and I remember it being fearful. And I remember just using those words that said, brother, my twin brother, hey, come in here. Something is going on. And when he came in, all of a sudden, this glory came down, and we couldn't talk. And I, re- I believe that that was God's Shekinah glory. And I remember tears flowing from my eyes, and just this awe of wonder of who God is, and His presence was so real. And I hate to say it, but those are far and in between. And here's the deal. I, 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 if my twin brother was here with you, I'd say, hey, twin brother, did it happen? And he would say yes. Because sometimes you scratch your head and just say, did that really happen? Was I dreaming? And No, it was God's glory. Some of you long to know this glory. Some of you want to be in the presence of God and you want to feel Him. And I wish it would happen more than it does. But maybe we can stand with Isaiah and say, chapter 6, Woe is me. 
I am undone and I'm in the midst of a people that is undone. I have felt and seen the glory of God. And sometimes I think that we need to experience His presence again. Because honestly, I'll be honest with you, and I take this stuff from the psalm, it's Psalm 73, is it in His presence I understand. And out of His presence, I'm undone. Are you undone today? And I'm going to tell you and encourage you to do this. Kiss the sun. Humble yourself. Under His mighty hand. Become hungry again to put your face on the floor and say, God, I'm not leaving until you move. But why would I do that when I'm so full of the world? Why would I do that when I'm so full of the flesh? But it doesn't change His worthiness. That's the cool part. That's the awesome part. That is the part that I just revel in. It's like, whether I worship you or not, Lord, you are holy. You are kind and you are good. But he says this to the nation. Kiss the son, bow before him, so that he, that he not become angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. It is coming quickly. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Do you hear God's mercy to the nations? Do you see why missions is so utterly important? Do you see? Do you understand? Because God uses His church to reach the lost. How happy are those who take refuge in Him. How blessed are those who seek Him and they find Him, who make the Almighty the shelter and they get under His wings. And I'm going to stop there have the worship team come. And I asked Jed to do a song for me and or for us, really, not for me. And the, one of the core, and part of the chorus, or wherever it's at, I'm not a musician, but wherever it's at in the song, and it's an old song, it says, One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. So if you'd stand with me, So I want to ask you this morning, where are you at? As we are worshiping today, I, since Jesus was here 
in, in a major way. And I hope you did too. But I will say this to you is don't let Jesus pass you by. And what do I mean by that? Is that Jesus is calling out to someone today and he is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. And come and see, taste and see that I am good. But if not, if you choose to turn away from that mercy and that grace today, I hate to say this, but you miss out. And I know this isn't nice to say, but hell is real. And we know through God's word that hell was not our destination. Heaven is our destination, but it is only through Christ Jesus that we will reach that heavenly home. So today what I want to do is call us to a place of turning to Jesus, giving Him the praise. And if you don't know Him, I want to call you to a place of just asking Him to come and introduce Himself to you. And that you would accept the claims of Christ today. That He is the Lord of all. And that He is the Son of God. And through Him, you can be saved. Let's pray together and let's sing together and that the elders would come as we pray. And if you need prayer this morning, I'm saying don't stop. You run to the altar. You run to Him because He is here this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, you promise us that if we meditate on your word day and night, that we will be like a tree that is planted by water. The leaves will never lose their power and we'll always bear fruit even in the drought. And God, we cry out to you today and we just ask you that there, if there's anyone lost among us today, that they would be found by you. Christ, I actually pray that they'd run to you this morning and we pray for the nations of the world, those nations and even maybe our own nation that is devising a plan against you, Lord. You just sit back and you laugh and you scoff because you created us. And I pray and just ask you for mercy on the nations, Lord. Send revival to the four corners of this world, Lord. Send revival. And may your Son, Jesus Christ, be glorified. And gladly are those who choose you now, Lord. We choose you now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.